0: Welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, And to talk to the people who create these games. Now, I'm pretty excited. Because I have been following. I've always been a fan of Osprey Books. I have a ton of their Blue Book games. And in more recent years, a ton of their hardback games. But they have a game that has been lurking on their Coming Soon page for quite a while. And i got to say, from reading all of the, I don't want to say reviews because it wasn't out yet. But all the previews got me very excited as someone who has literally thousands of science fiction models painted in the wings. It, it is always good to, to hear that. I don't have to paint new models for a game system, but you guys know, I love an agnostic game system that you can use a miniature agnostic game system that you can use any miniatures to play And man has Osprey delivered. We have got a doozy of a game. And I'm very excited to be talking with its authors today. Now, this is a gentleman who went from doing an article in Citadel Journal in the 90s to putting out, in my opinion, one of the best hardback Osprey books in recent history. Man, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome Richard Cowan onto Cast Dice. Richard, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Now, we, of course, are talking about Xenos Rampant. The hint is in the name. It is another Rampant game. Of course, we had Lion Rampant. Then we had Dragon Rampant. And then there's other games using similar mechanics. Yeah. But this is a hardback. From memory, this may be, is this the first or second hardback Rampant title? But those were written by the original Rampant author, Dan Mersey. Yeah. This is you, though and you took the existing mechanics and took it into its own new universe, literally. Can you talk to us about how did you go from being a fan of Dan's games to putting out such a fantastic, I don't even want to call it an expansion. It's a game in and of itself with its own mechanics. How did that happen?
1: Um, Well, uh, I've, I've, I've been jotting down ideas and rules and stuff for various games uh, over the years. Um, but then I got introduced to Dragon Rampant via uh, a group of friends who played Frostgrave. And uh, this had too many models for a game of Frostgrave, so I uh, expanded it out into Dragon Rampant. To be honest, within a few days or weeks of actually getting the game, I started writing uh, supplementary rules for it, a couple of new units. Um, extra fantastical rules and then i decided to um i figured it was a good enough rule set and um, that it could probably support something a bit more science fiction um so i wrote a science fiction supplement for it uh modified the existing unit types added in a few new ones so again uh, specifically the vehicles and posted it up on the facebook group for uh, dragon rampant and they, you know, considering the bunch of fantasy gamers, they seemed quite like the science fiction um, in the main, and yeah, it it took off from there. Um, sometime later, maybe a year or two later, I thought I, I wanted to do a second draft of it essentially, and then thought perhaps I could get it published through Osprey as one of the Blue Books, and so I emailed Dan. Dan said yes, so long as we co-author it, which kind of blew me away. Um, And it went from there. It wasn't initially going to be necessarily through Osprey because they had um, Dan hinted that they had plans uh, for a science fiction game that was uh, taking up their uh, science fiction slot at the moment.
0: Mm -hmm. Obviously that turned
1: out to be Stargrave. Um,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And yeah, after a bit of um, after a bit of time, Dan showed it to uh, the staff at Osprey, and they jumped on board. Really, it went
0: down well. That's fantastic. Now, as someone who plays Stargrave and has played a fair number of Joseph McCullough's games, those tend to be more skirmishy. You have what up to ten models. Yeah, this can be. A larger game and largely is however and we'll get into model count size in a minute this is a really exciting game in that it is the most open sandbox game I could I possibly seen with the exception of maybe 7 TV and I mean Warlords of Erewhon is everything fantasy and fantasy and fantasy this is uh, incredibly expansive when you wrote the science fiction rules for the rampant system even in the first edition did you have any idea that you would be coming up with a a game that could go from world war one up through every era to the grim dark distant future
1: um yes and no um obviously um one forty thousand 000 isn't quite you know to throw that that other game in there mm-hmm. it isn't quite futuristic science fiction all the way mm. you know the style of uh, warfare for example particularly the imperial guard uh, mm-hmm. is very much trench warfare world war one world war two sort of thing so if i was going to incorporate that kind of grim dark stuff in there it would need to by necessity cover um the same sort of style of um, warfare as the Great War, World War Two, mm-hmm. um, so it kind of naturally slotted in. Um, and as um, as as the uh, the game developed, uh, it became sort of. I, I wanted to put a bit of uh, alternative history, World War Two, in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, you can go. Yeah, sorry.
0: No, so you can go from playing straight traditional World War One trench warfare up through. I mean, there's weird war rules. There's moderns, there's just five minutes into the future, there's post-apocalyptic of all the varieties, to you know, mutants to zombies to robots, each having their own set of rules, even to angel and demon apocalypses, to high sci-fi low. Sci fi and everything in between on your way forward, you can have alien predators, I guess, um, from the stars. You can have tons of xenomorphs running at you. I mean, there's a million flavors here. I guess we should probably talk about how we do that with this rule set. It is the kind of rule set we like to talk about on this podcast, in that it's simple to pick up. There's about 20, 30 pages of hard rules. And then there's a lot of pages of units. Now there's, what, 10 to 13 unit types in the book?
1: I I think it's about 13, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then from there, what makes it, though, it's a game that you can pick up easily, but has the nuance in the tactics on the tabletop. But what gives it a lot of the flavor and the tactics is that, though there's what 13 unit types and they're all basic types you have you know light infantry heavy infantry berserk infantry elite infantry you know etc 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 moving your way up there's 30 add-ons that you can add to each of those classes to flavor them to match the setting that you want and that doesn't even include all of the bonus xeno upgrades that come later there's just buckets of customization that allow you to turn whatever you want and put it on table. You want to play Flash Gordon? No problem. Do that. How much of that, when you came from the rampant systems previous, where it was set mechanics and set unit types, did you bring into this? Um, Because I know, for example, you go from being a base 6 or base 12 to base 5 or 10 in this game. And how much did you change it as you went through?
1: um well the initial version of um, Xenos rampant the, the the which was essentially a supplement for dragon rampant uh, that kept the base 12 unit sizes and um it that that, that works fine for things like um for example world war 1 world war 2 or you know the grim dark far future where you've got mm-hmm. those large units But um, it was actually Dan's suggestion to consider shifting it from the sort of six and 12 strong units to the uh, five, 10, and occasionally 15, um, largely because that's how uh, science fiction models are sold. They tend to be in um, squads of 10 or squads of five rather than, excuse the cat, um, rather than um, these more sort of regimented, you know, four by three. units of uh, spearmen and so on that you get in fantasy and historical stuff.
0: Yeah. So when you were going from the basic mechanics, I mean, just talking about the unit size, for example, is one thing that you've changed. Um, I also know that you've added, for those who are familiar with the rampant system, that you've added a suppression mechanic um, for what happens if people are shooting at you and they don't wound you uh, because, you know, a lot of modern games um, or games In the era of guns, for example, bolt action uses pins, for example, and pinning unit out. And uh, there's lots of games that have suppression mechanics. But you have taken that idea and put it directly into the rampant rules.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, suppression rules can get a bit fiddly from uh, Mm. my experience because you're trying to often they treat it as separate to the basic morale stuff. Um, So what I've done with, uh, what we've done with Xenos Rampant is essentially tweaked the existing uh, courage test system from uh, Dragon and Lion Rampant. And one made it so that tests happen more often. Um, As you say, you don't have to actually cause casualties to cause suppression, which uh, translates as if a unit takes a hit, but there's no casualties you still have to make a courage test, although it's going to be easier to pass than if you had actually you know, had soldiers getting uh, killed or injured. And uh, the results of courage tests are different now as well. You've got, instead of just running off the battlefield as uh, a unit of exhausted um, men-at-arms might do, it's uh, a group of soldiers who don't want to be where the uh, shells are landing. They dive mm-hmm. for the nearest cover. They um, regroup while they're there, and then assuming they're not too badly mauled with casualties, they come out again. They try and carry on with their uh, achieving their objectives. Um, So, it's uh, like I say, it's a lot more common for uh, units to take morale tests now, but they're also more likely to recover so long Mm -hmm. as they're still in combat capable condition. Uh, casualty and so on will eventually tip over from just sort of suppression into them actually potentially routing and really struggling to operate on the battlefield.
0: I love that because it means that if someone's shooting at you, of course you can dive in, but it also means that you might actually end up running slightly towards an enemy, not just running wildly away because you are running to the nearest cover, which feels a lot more like an action movie. If you're actually watching your heroes. You know, not necessarily running hightail. Meanwhile, there's cover right next to them. They're diving for the nearest cover. They're going to get their heads right, and then they're going to come back out. Um, If we're talking about some rules from the rampant system that people may not be familiar if they haven't played them before, and I'll be completely honest, I'm one of those people, I'm finding some really interesting rule interactions in here that I think, you know, really help highlight just how interesting and fun this game can be on the tabletop. Let's talk about the activation system, because that's one of the things that people love to talk about with a new game. How is it a you go, I go? Is it a chit system? In this case, it's something that feels very historical. And I've seen it in a lot of historical games, but I haven't seen a lot of sci-fi games. So this is sort of bridging the gap. And this is where you have to pass an almost an order test or an activation test for a unit to get it to do something. And if they don't pass it, your turn ends and it goes to your opponent. Now what's different there is each unit has its own activation test that they have to pass, but it, the flavor of the game is ingenious because different units do different things better. Light infantry tests better to run it's easier for them to move or maneuver or run across the tabletop than it is for them to shoot. So units lean in particular flavors that you have set up that go into their archetype. How hard was that to do for a science fiction setting?
1: The um, different level of difficulty for uh, orders uh, for activation tests, that's something that's inherited from Dragon Rampant. And um, uh, Lion Rampant in that, you know, for example, off the top of my head, um, Lightfoot in uh, the uh, Dragon Rampant would move on, a, I think, five plus attack on a six plus. Um, whereas, uh, yeah, we've we carried that, like I said, we've carried that across into Xenos Rampant and also borrowed, um, we've borrowed the... Idea of free actions from the many would-be kings, uh, Dan's colonial warfare version of the Rampant system, uh, where uh, I'm not—it's uh, not a game I've played much, but from memory, things like, for example, regular infantry, so the British Army uh, out in Sudan or um, you know, South Africa or wherever, would um, they could automatically um, pass certain uh, activation tests without making them. For example, stand to or uh, to shoot, so that it emphasises their um, their things that they're best at. So we've carried that across into Xenos Rampant. Uh, each unit, except for Militia Rabble, who are rubbish and don't deserve a free action, <laughs> gets a free action. Uh, yeah. where Essentially, it's their specialism on the battlefield: support yeah. infantry, like they will um, shoot without having to make any kind of activation test, or. Um, Vehicles will move because that's what vehicles are most noted for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then elite infantry, they get to uh, they get free action that c- they can either move or shoot without making a roll because they're just better than everyone else. So yeah, that 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 goes across. Uh, like I say, almost every unit has it, and it's in, in part the activation tests system across the Rampant Games. Uh, Dan intended it to represent the difficulty of um, of a commander actively controlling his units on the battlefield in uh, the Middle Ages. For example, for Lion and Dragon, it was difficult. You know, there was no coordinated um, communication systems. Troops weren't drilled to operate under their own steam quite so easily. So, um, you know, you get the uh, yeah, you no know, second chances. Turnover if you fail the activation test. As the different rampant games have progressed through history, command and controls become a lot more streamlined, a lot more organised. Troops are better trained, disciplined, and you know, prior to Xenos Rampant, um, the Men Who Would Be Kings culminated with the introduction of these free actions. Uh, so it just made sense to keep them in that from that score as well. But it also prevents the frustration of uh, mm-hmm. uh, some players' feel of um, you know failing the first roll of the turn and then handing over to the other player.
0: You've seen me roll dice then. <laughs> well, that, I, again, I think eliminates a lot of the feel-bads that someone might get, as you say, if on the very first roll of a turn they happen to roll a double one and don't get what they need and then are very sad and their opponent gets to go again. But as you say, the, the free action that a squad can do. And as you say, that is tailored to the particular squad to suit its purpose really does feel like a modern war game. Now, what's interesting is you only get one action per activation, if I'm understanding that right. So it isn't the, in a lot of games you have the, I'm going to move and then I'm going to shoot. You're actually spending a lot of your time considering where you're putting things before you actually start shooting. So there's a lot of tactics in there. But it also means that this isn't your standard four to six turn game. There's a lot more turns because you need to maneuver around. And of course, that depends on the scenario. And that's something that you don't see in a lot of war games. Now, you've mentioned the unit size a couple of times, and I think we should probably talk about that. When you often play games, you have a certain number of models in a squad, and then each one rolls a certain number of attacks depending on the unit type. Oh, this guy's got a machine gun, he can shoot twice, or he can shoot three times. Everyone else has got a rifle, they can shoot once. That isn't the case in the system. In this case, you have a full-size squad or a half-size squad. And your full-size squad, which could be five models, if it's at full strength, fires and rolls 10 dice. You then compare that to the shoot statistic, and what actually counts is the number of successes you get. So units that are better are more easily able to make that roll, so they'll yeah. get more hit results. It took me a few minutes to get my head around how that worked, and I had to pull out the dice, but it it works really well, and then... What makes it a really streamlined system is then you compare those to the armor of the unit you're shooting at, and that gives you how much damage you actually do. Obviously, there are special abilities that you can buy to put on the units, and we talked about those a second ago that add the flavor, that can make your guns more effective or your weapons more effective and make the armor more or less effective later. Can you talk about that system? Have I explained that right?
1: Yeah, you've pretty much got it right. Um, yeah, uh, again, the uh, damage resolution is something that's um, inherited from uh, the earlier Rampant games because uh, it works. Um, you know, so, uh, as you say, it's a nice, straightforward way of doing it. It's um, mm-hmm. you know, there's not just the one roll once you've uh, passed your activation test mm-hmm. to uh, resolve hits and casualties. Um, yeah, so the number of hits you uh, roll... Um, say rolling ten dice to hit on a five plus, you'll generally get somewhere in the region of maybe three, possibly four hits. Obviously, there's uh, statistical, statistical variance, um, mm-hmm. so that's end up with six hits or whatever, or none. And it's you you you, you cause a strength point of damage on the target unit uh, for every multiple of the armor score so essentially for every three points uh, if so if you're t- targeting a unit of say heavy infantry which has armor three which is slightly above average um you'll need three hits to cause one casualty so three hits cause a uh, loss of a strength point four hits will still just cause one strength point loss but if you yeah. manage to reach six that's two strength points lost um, so, yeah, in simplest form, that's
0: that's how it works. It may sound like the game might get grindy because you're not going to get two to three wounds very often unless you are using loaded dice or you get very lucky. But, again, once we start factoring in, you know, different weapons that you can have, one, for example, that if you roll a six, it counts as two. yep yeah. um, yeah. So all of a sudden that can yeah. ramp up. And also... If you happen to have particularly cruddy armor, because you can buy upgrades and downgrades in this game to make your units more expensive and cheaper, depending on your theme, that will cause more wounds to be done as well. Wounds, of course, we can take care of that by simply removing models from the units because units come in, as we said before, units of five. Now, if you want to make your units bigger, you can pay to have the units Size increase now interestingly That doesn't change the number of dice you roll You're still rolling 10 dice Yeah, But it means That you have much better Chances of damaging And better chance of Weathering the storm of fire So to speak because you are a larger unit But again as things start To tick down as you get below half As you get lower and lower The amount of shots that you're Putting out obviously halves to five Um, because you're just rolling half the number of dice. It's a really interesting system. Clearly, this is a system that's been playtested to death, given how many rampant games there are out there that all use the same mechanics. How much did you want to tinker with that system, given how much it had been playtested previously in prior rampant games? Um, Or were you fairly comfortable moving forward with it as it was?
1: Uh, the biggest thing to think about was moving from 12 dice down to 10 dice, which we did essentially to keep it in line with the um, 12 models to 10 models, mm-hmm. 12 strength points to 10 strength points um, mechanic. I did a spreadsheet and um, of probabilities, and it works out roughly the same in terms of the number of casualties caused on a 10 strength point unit or a 5 strength point unit as a 12 or 6 ranged point unit if you alter the dice as well. So um, after I, I, I did have initial concerns when Dan suggested we do that but uh, yeah like i say i you know, it it works it uh, it tweaked quite nicely. Otherwise we didn't do much tweaking to the basic um, mechanics for causing damage mm-hmm. probably the biggest one would be uh, beyond the number of dice, obviously, it would be firing at extreme range. That's something yeah. that's not been in any of the previous games because they've been crossbows or muskets or um, you know 19th century uh, rifles. Uh, whereas, obviously, we're playing with anything from uh, again the same 19th century rifles and Great War, but through to um, you know plasma weapons, pulse rifles, or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more long range fire. most units can now fire beyond the usual typical 18 inch range for uh, the rampant uh, games uh, but the greatly reduced chance of actually causing any casualties um, it just treats their armour as being higher which the way the uh, mm-hmm. it works uh, has a severe impact on the number of casualties but as mentioned before the morale um, effects of being shot at still apply so long-range fire harasses the enemy suppresses them causes them to take cover it's mainly there to interfere with the enemy's plans
0: yeah
1: Uh, but that's probably one of the biggest changes i think uh, aside from the number of dice to the basic combat system
0: Now, when we were talking about unit sizes a second ago, I did mention that units come in fives. However, if you want to, as I said, you can bulk it up to 10. And if, as you said, if the units are particularly cruddy in the form of militia rabble or primitive infantry, you can actually take them up to 15s. They're just likely to disappear pretty quickly. With those, you can actually let's say you really, really want to have a very heroic character or you want to have some sort of super tough space marine kind of armored trooper, you can actually field, for example, three guys instead of a unit of 10 and say that each one of those guys is worth three. Because you're rolling 10 dice no matter what, you're, it actually frees you up to play with unit size quite a lot. Yeah. So you're able to say each one of these guys is worth three, I don't want to say wounds, all of a sudden the, the term's escaping me in this game. Yes, thank you. And when you get to the last guy, because he must be the sergeant or the, the character, he has one more. So, but of course, that point, you're below half anyway. So,
1: Chances are you've already routed by that
0: point. Exactly. So it's a really cool system that allows you, as I said earlier, not only does it allow you to, to pull all the miniatures out of your cabinets and be like, oh, I can feel this as, you know, cavalry. I can take these as, you know, flying motorcycles. I can take these guys and their powered armor. I can take these guys with their, um, I can't even think, your, your, your Star Wars space opera flash gordon characters put them on the board no problem this all counts yeah. but if you really want to t- make something extra tough you can play with the unit numbers in there and just have unit or sort wound markers to mark how many damage they've taken that is a really clever system that really does open up the sandbox nature of this how much uh, was that taken from the other rampant systems
1: uh, it's uh it's originally from dragon rampant which okay. um uh, the original line rampant because it was all basically humans wearing mm-hmm. chainmail or whatever that was um rather than using strength points it just literally had units of six men or 12 men and you'd take off a man every time you uh, suffered a casualty um when dan wrote dragon rampant uh when you've got, for example, ogres or dragons um, or even just, like you say, particularly strong characters, uh, you'd want to have those reduced uh, model units uh, where you'd have, say, three trolls or one dragon uh, representing the same stat block as a larger unit of uh, spearmen or knights or whatever. Now being um, included in the appendices for line Rampant 2nd edition as well. Right. But, yeah, it is it is ideal for uh, characters uh, in some settings, not as much as others. For example, the weird mm-hmm. war stuff. Assuming that, you know, the commander is human, chances are he's just going to be a small squad of, say, five men um, mm-hmm. with, you know, adjutants, um, political officers, radio operators, that sort of thing. But in a slightly more heroic science fiction setting, um, it'll be there in his big armor uh Mm -hmm. with the sword around on his own and being as strong as a squad of soldiers uh so yeah you can get that heroic one guy rushing into the middle of things taking them out uh that wouldn't necessarily apply to uh for example the uh, more conventional end of the weird war setting
0: Well, let's talk about something else that has ported over but has changed a little bit um, and modernized with the rule set, and that's the commander attributes. So when you have a commander on this, there are several types of leaders that you can have in your force, and then you actually roll on a table to see what special abilities they may get. And what I find very interesting is they're not all positive.
1: No. Um, no, this uh, that, again. That's um, something we've uh, ported across from the earlier games. Um, it's a little controversial at times, particularly if one person rolls a one on a table uh, mm-hmm. and ends up um, either having a slightly smaller force because they just didn't handle the logistics properly, or um, it's just incompetence at in certain things. Whereas the other player rolls a six, and you know, they're phenomenal. They're one of these sort of general pattern legends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's about the randomness of the game, uh, of, of reality rather, uh, historically it represented the fact that if you read, a, 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 if you read a history book about any given war, you'll have the author commenting on, um, you know, this general or that general was particularly timid and wouldn't send his troops forward or this general was overly aggressive and sent his troops forwards too fast, or uh, this one just wouldn't make a decision, essentially. Uh, had a breakdown rather than going into battle, exactly. uh, which happened a few times in the Great War, which was rather disturbing uh, considering, considering what was going on. Uh, so, yeah, uh, they're not all positive, but I like to think they're all characterful.
0: Well, something that wasn't in the previous Rampant Games and is in this one is vehicles because we have tanks and we have transport vehicles. Now, this is very much an infantry based game. Now, it doesn't mean you can't take other vehicles. And we'll talk about how to sneak our way in to get more vehicles on the table in a second. But in this game, you can take one tank or one transport vehicle. How important was it for you to include vehicles given the scope of the game, but also given that you are adapting an infantry-based game?
1: Well, it's um, it felt impossible to avoid, really. Um, part of the, uh, I could call it design goals uh, of the game, although I didn't really think about it in quite so um, specific a sense, mm. was that... Typical Dragon Rampant uh, Force is similar to old-school Warhammer or other mm-hmm. um, medieval fantasy games. So I was aiming for the same sort of thing with uh, with Xenos Rampant. Uh, I've played Warzone, uh, Warhammer 40,000, several other mm-hmm. games. And in, in the uh, 90s, at least, um, before plastic models became... Pretty much universal before uh, vehicle models were anywhere near yeah. as common as they are. You'd have several squads of infantry. You'd have a single tank in the middle as a centrepiece, yeah. or a dreadnought, or whatever. Um, so that, that's essentially what we're going for with this. There's also the game balance issue as well. You don't want um, you don't want too many heavily armoured units in a small skirmish level game because uh, the Fighting vehicles in particular, the tank, um, generic name for tanks in this, they are very tough without special anti-tank weaponry, and typical squads of infantry, they might be able to drive it back through the suppression mechanics, but they probably won't be able to kill it, Um, which, if you've got two of them on the battlefield, or three of them, makes it very difficult to actually um, complete whatever objectives you've got.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I pulled out some dice when I was figuring out the mechanics and then I tried it against an armored fighting vehicle and went, oh my God, how do you get past the armor on this thing? It's armor six. How do you possibly do that? Uh, and then I realized there is, as you said, the um, anti-tank squad upgrade that halves the armor of the vehicle that it's attacking, but it yeah. only works against armored vehicles. So yeah. all of a sudden that upgrade made a lot of sense and seems like quite the deal. If your opponent's taking a tank.
1: Uh, Yeah. And, uh, you know, as, as as a bonus, if you get a fighting vehicle that, you know, you also get uh, the anti-tank rules for that vehicle as well. Tanks are one of the best weapons on the battlefield for killing other tanks, uh, you know, in a modern, in a modern setting. And then, yeah, there's uh, other slightly lesser effective ones. Um, There's melee and ranged versions of the anti-tank. There's demolitions as well for, you know, if you're literally clamping uh, a limpet mine onto the side of a vehicle or punching it with a big mechanical fist or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you've also got the the lesser versions, which work more broadly across all unit types. So it works against infantry as well as vehicles uh, that just slightly reduces the armour by one point, which doesn't seem much, but... If it now takes two hits to um, to kill a model rather than three, or if it takes one rather than two, it's, it's a significant improvement. And again, that's available yes. for both um, ranged and uh, melee uh, use.
0: And if you are thinking, but I really want to take a bunch of, I know a lot of people are watching the SAS Rogues TV show at the moment. And I know a lot of people are talking about, oh, I want to play an LRDG army or, you know, some or Mad Max, for example. Um, I watched, uh, you know, the most recent Mad Max Hero. a couple of weeks ago. Right. Shiny and Chrome. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so if you want to have a bunch of trucks zipping around, you can have uh, technical style vehicles and or light walkers in this that don't adhere to the one vehicle rule. How yeah. do they work?
1: Um, essentially, soft skin vehicles, as they're called, they can be upgraded with a bit more armour, but they're mm-hmm. still relatively light and fast. You can have any number of those. One of the sample army lists, the sort of Mad Max Road Warrior type uh, detachments in the book, that includes, I think it's four four soft skin vehicles. Essentially, there's a points limit. You can't spend more than half your points on vehicles, so. Uh, can take a little bit of jiggery-pokery, um, you know, sort of taking something that reduces your um, points value for this vehicle by a point or two. I think in the case of the Mad Max style force, the take the civilian downgrade, which actually reduces their armor to something a bit more manageable for infantry firing at them. Uh, but yeah, you can uh, up to half your army can have uh, can be vehicles, although you're still limited, obviously, to the one fighting vehicle or transport vehicle. It just um, just encourages that kind of combined arms thing. We're not trying to play the Battle of Kursk or anything. You've got exactly. Yeah, you've 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 got uh, infantry as the core of it, and the vehicles are centrepiece models for the army in sort of aesthetic terms, and um, supporting the rest of the army in actual game terms.
0: Well, you've hit on a few things there that I want to mention. I'm a little embarrassed that we've gotten this far in the episode and I haven't listed the infantry types or at least some of them because it was really, I mean, that is really what kind of made part of the system click for me. So we have elite infantry, heavy infantry, light infantry. We said that before. We have berserk infantry, support infantry, um, which have those weapons that can reach out and touch vehicles and other things. We have recon infantry which are even faster and lighter than light infantry. We have primitive infantry, uh, militia rabble, greater xenomorphs, and lesser xenomorphs, for those of us who want to put the gribbly on the table. But I also know that from other places in the book, um, we have zombies as well and zombie rules, but not just zombies as playable factions. You can actually play this game with NPC zombies wandering around the place. What am I missing? I feel like I'm missing a couple from the list.
1: Oh, the vehicles as well. Yeah. yeah, uh, yes. As we mentioned, there's three types of vehicle, fighting, transport, and soft skin. Otherwise, you've listed them all.
0: Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about some of the options because let's take, for example, <clears throat> I have heavy infantry. I can give them armor piercing, which gives them an improved shooting characteristic Assault Doctrine, Close Quarter Doctrine, Fire Support, Heavy Weapons, Increased Squad Size, Mobile, which makes them able to move faster, Undisciplined, which makes them charge on a 5-up, and there is a pile of Xenos rules you can tag onto there as well. And each of these units has a ton of options that you can get. Now, each point levels in this game are also something that as someone who's played a lot of Warlord games and Games Workshop games and other games like that, seems a little strange at first. Because the unit for Heavy Infantry, for example, who are who are fairly stock standard, um, maybe a little bit harder than your average bear on the tabletop, they're two points for the unit. Yeah. Now, you pay for the upgrade, so Armor Piercing makes the whole unit plus one. So that's three points for a five-man team on the tabletop, and that gives them everything they need to play. Now you might say, wow, how many points do you actually play in a game? Well, the answer is 24. And that is on a four by four board. So can, I know you can scale this up, but um, with the 24 points, um, are you happy with um, the squad sizes given that you can go from, I know in one of your examples, I think you have eight models as, at 24 points. And then at another example, you can go up to like 43. So there are, uh, there's a huge range of what you can field in this model wise. And given that it's a four by four board, it doesn't sound like you want all the models in the world on a board either.
1: Well, it's, um, I mean, you can always scale the board size up if you want the bigger game. But yeah, the, um, the, I think the uh, from the sample detachments, I think the largest one is about 75 models and the smallest one is four. Um, that's a particularly odd one. It's the Ancient Alien Artifacts Army. Um, but yeah, the um, generally speaking, they're around about 30 to 40 models, uh, 20 to 40, something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, the, the, the larger armies that tend to be swarm armies, they tend to be the sort of things that would fill the uh, fill one side of the board uh, mm-hmm. be and the other are I think the, the primitives uh, army list essentially if you want to use your Frostgrave Barbarians or uh, your Warhammer models um, mm-hmm. as, uh, as an army uh, in a science fiction setting because there's no blast markers in the game um, it's not really as big an issue as if say somebody's putting a pie plate down and taking out three squads in one go mm-hmm. so it's um, Yeah, a larger number of models in an army doesn't make too much of a difference.
0: Let's talk about some of the additional upgrades because I've listed some of the basic ones. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the wild ones because there's some cool ones in here. We've got Boarding Shields, Brutal Leader, Cloaking Device, Combat Medic, Contagious, um, which is your zombie rule, Demonic Exploder, if you want to blow things up, Fearful, flying, force field, mobile, inspiring leader, mechanoid, skimmer, slow. We have a whole range of psychic rules, uh, stun weapons, stabilized weapons, teleport jumping, undead, unarmed, unstable. And that's just some of them. And of course, each one of those has a point cost that either increases or decreases the actual value of the unit, depending on what it is that you're upgrading. How much of that did you take from the other Rampant games? How many did those did you come up with yourself?
1: Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. Um, some of them are, some of them are from Dragon Rampant, but with the names changed for a bit more of a science fiction feel, maybe with slight tweaks to the rules. I think I'd estimate about a third of them have been ported across from Dragon. Psychic, obviously, is um, a modified version of the Spellcaster rules from. Uh, Dragon rampant. I think the rest are uh, are new. Don't quote me on those numbers, but I think it's roughly that sort of proportion.
0: Well, one of the things that we love to talk about on this show are scenarios. It's not necessarily the rules that you're playing on the table, it's what are you playing for. It really helps create the narrative that you're playing on the tabletop. Now, this game, uh, it's really exciting to see a core set with so many scenarios in it. This has 12 scenarios in it that really does help you again to add that flavor on top of all of the, the, the army listing that you have on the tabletop. Can you talk to us about the missions? Because there's a lot in here.
1: Um, well, like I say, there's uh, a lot of them. I've tried to get a decent variety covering, uh, as many different types of battle as I could, uh, as we could. Um, you've got the basic, uh, I can't remember his name now, sweeping clear, I think it is. The first mm-hmm. one is just yep. straightforward here's my army, here's your army, they fight uh, kind of scenario. Um, my favourite's probably um, Orbital Drop, um, where the objective is to take the command bunker for the enemy, but all the attackers' units. Um, Use something called special insertion. I never did manage to come up with a better name for it. Uh, basically, <laughs> it represents anything from parachuting to teleporting to drop pods, whatever. Uh, your troops drop out of orbit or from planes or whatever, land on the battlefield and try and take the enemy bunker. Um, that's, yeah, and then there's, uh, yeah, there's others. There's secret mission, which is an interesting one. I've not. I've not personally seen anything like that before where each side has a secret objective that they don't share with their opponent Mm -hmm. until after the game ends, um, which there's only a few different options, but uh, ideally you'd be able to uh, bluff your opponent to make Mm -hmm. them think, oh, this guy's trying to assassinate my commander, while that other uh, squad of light infantry over there captures the objective you're actually after, uh, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, absolutely. So I've talked about the open sandbox nature of this. And yes, we've said there's a few examples in here. And we've talked about the missions helping to forge the narrative. And all of that is great. And if you had just had all of the things we've mentioned in there, that would be, I think, a blue book game, possibly a little bit more. But what takes this from the blue book game to the full hardback big Osprey, you know, full color art, fantastic content is, I think the second third of, or sorry, the, th- the last third of the book. And we're talking about oh God chapters and chapters and chapters of settings that you can play this game in. As I mentioned before, chapter seven is the weird war section where you are literally going from 1914 to, through the 1940s, uh, post 1945, um, up through urban fantasy, um, where you have rules for police response, activating civilians, um, but you can y- let me give you an example. In that section, for example, you, there are for each of these there is a detachment list where you suggest how you could create different um, forces in this game. So yeah. for example, the SWAT team, is one of the detachment lists and you can have two SWAT teams um, that are elite infantry. You have SWAT armored rescue vehicle. So you have a transport vehicle. You got a sniper team and you've got three uh, beat cop perimeter teams and each one lists how you would a, how many points each of those units is and how you could create that by listing the unit type and all the special rules that you would to match it up. Yeah. Now you've, done that for unbelievable numbers of this um, as how, how many
1: I think it's 44
0: yeah yeah 44 different possible army lists to help guide players in creating their own or just to give you army lists that you can then pull out and put on the tabletop yourself yeah that's out. <laughs> that's an outrageous number and it Every time I'm like, oh yeah, I could use this for that. Turn the page. Oh, I can use it for this. Turn the page. It is the most inspiring section of any book I've opened in recent times uh, as far as war games go. It's unbelievable. Did you just run away with this? How did, I mean, clearly this isn't something you came up with overnight. I mean, how much time did you put into this?
1: God knows. Um, (laughs) uh, Well, the, as you were saying before, the prior to the genre chapters uh, is pretty much a blue book's worth it was actually that as the blue book we didn't expect uh, initially to get the hardback treatment so we, we wrote it assuming it'd be a blue book and uh, I'd already written a rough draft of the zombie rules I think it was the boarding action rules from the space opera chapter mm-hmm. uh, as potential magazine articles or blog posts or something like that but um, yeah we are Kind of impressed when um, Osprey came back with the offer of the hardback version, because uh, you know that's just reserved for things like Frostgrave. Um, mm-hmm. Although, actually, I suspect in hindsight, Dan already had Line Rampant um, lined up. But yeah, the um, the genre chapters were essentially something I've been, yeah, you know, I've been wanting to. We'd we have been doing the detachment lists anyway, the uh, because every Rampant books had um, various things, whether it's all the medieval sort of feudal England, feudal Scotland and so on uh, kind of lists are um, lists for um, various colonial units or whatever in uh, Rebels and Patriots and so on. I hadn't really expected to get the actual optional rules that each of the chapters contains like for example the police response or civilians for the urban fantasy setting which the police response a bit might have been a little bit inspired by uh by stargrave, I think, by that point, with the um unwanted attention, I think it's called in stargrave yep. where the uh, pirates turn up if you mm-hmm. hang around too long. So, yeah, basically, Osprey gave us extra pages and we filled them. Um, and yeah. I've always really enjoyed writing army lists for Dragon Rampant, I've got way more than I have actually started collecting, <laughs> uh, so I carry that across into this as well. I want to collect all of them and I never will.
0: No, I mean, 44 forces right off the bat is a lot (laughs) and they're all fun. I mean, as I said, every time I turned the page, I went, Ooh, another one. And then, you know, you go to the next one and the next one. But as you say, it's not just that you've given us uh, different detachments that we could possibly field on the tabletop. It's that with each of these chapters as you go through, and there's a lot of these chapters, there are additional rules that line up with them that you can use. There's night fighting rules. There's fog of war rules. I mean, you mentioned the boarding action rules, but I really want to draw a circle around those because it's pages and pages of how to set up the interior of a spaceship. Um, what ha- what do different units do differently on the inside of a spaceship? How does explosive decompression work, doors and airlocks? What happens if you happen to not be wearing a vac suit? There's all kinds of additional rules that really does add so much more flavor um, that if you put that on the tabletop, it is a very different experience than playing Xenos Rampant, just with the normal forces from that chapter. But in a spaceship, it feels like almost... A new game. It really does add a lot of replayability and a lot of really interesting variation. Um, The more you get into it, if you want to spice things up, there's a a whole spice rack here for you to add.
1: The boarding action bits are, like I say, some of the most extensive optional rules in the book largely because it's hard to do it in half measures with something as drastically different as fighting on board a spaceship because you have to have something like you know, how being in an enclosed space affects units. Uh, For example, you've got, well, flying units, they're not really much use, or vehicles, but basically just allow vehicles to act as normal. But, you know, try getting get a tank down a three foot wide corridor. Mm -hmm. It it provides its own limitations. The doors and airlocks came in because once you've got explosive decompression in one part of the board, the entire board will be affected otherwise. So you have to have Mm -hmm. some rules for doors. The no back suits part of it was because so not everyone in a science fiction setting on board a spaceship will actually be wearing a spacesuit. And mm-hmm. it's just to not give your troops spacesuits. Hope they don't leave the uh, bit with the atmosphere in.
0: Well, Richard, it has been awesome talking to you about this. I mean, I could waffle on about this book for ages. It's close to 200 pages, it's a hard bound yeah. book. It's brilliant color. The art is outstanding, and we haven't even talked about that. And we haven't even mentioned the campaign system, and we're out of time. Richard, clearly you have put a lot of work into this system. Thank you for all of your hard work, and thank you very much for coming on today. It has been a pleasure to pick your brain, Um, and I just can't wait to put this on the tabletop.
1: Thanks for having me, and I hope you enjoy it.
0: I will. I will. Now, I have joined several Facebook groups for this game, and there appears to be many. If folks are interested in joining a larger Xenos Rampant community, where would you recommend them go?
1: Um, Well, the the two uh, Facebook groups I'm aware of are Xenos uh, Rampant, the sci-fi skirmish game, and Xenos Rampant, Osprey Sci-Fi Warfare. One of them is run by the same people who do the... uh, Dragon Rampant and other uh, not official but quite popular Facebook groups. And the other seems to be equally as popular, run by uh, one, of the, uh, one of the fans, I think.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, it is interesting to see two groups for a game with roughly similar sizes um, yeah. with equal number of posts that have different content. It's a very strange world, but both seem to be very nice groups. And you are on both of those groups, uh, so people may see you posting there.
1: Probably, yeah. Or at least commenting uh, when I get the time to post I'll post.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to posting some of the pictures of my forces, and I'm looking forward to playing some games and checking things out. And I'm sure I'm going to have a rules question or two, so those groups will be invaluable. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. If you are at all interested in Xenos Rampant, you can get the book from your fine game store. Uh, I know that a lot of local game stores here in Australia are covering, or sorry, carrying it as part of the Osprey book series. Uh, I know that Book Depository has it, and all sorts of great game stores all over the place. I know you can also get it from Osprey direct, and if you really desperately want it this second, you can get the PDF because I might have ordered that too. And it can be handed to you within seconds. And then you can have it on your device to scan through as you go. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to Cast Dice. I have been promising that we would cover things other than bolt action. And ta-da, here we are, Uh, an episode that is not bolt action focused. And yes, I will be doing a lot more of these going forward. I've been talking to a few folks about covering other game systems, getting back to Cast Dice's roots, particularly now that the Ghost Army is back. Yes, of course, we'll still cover Bolt Action, but I really do want to get into other games. And I definitely will be talking more about Xenos Rampant after I've gotten a few games under my belt. But thank you very much for listening. And as our buddy Casey always says, when you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, when you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. <laughs>